Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage, and practice self-care, and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power, and this allows us to impact, serve, and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we are speaking with advocate and soon-to-be author working on her memoir, Jane Epstein. Jane is here to share her very vulnerable story, and I honor her so much. I am so impressed and love that I get to connect with people who are stepping into shoes to share their vulnerable story with the intention of making an impact in the lives of others. And this is exactly what Jane is doing. Here's a little bit of her bio. Jane spent years building walls and hiding behind them. She learned at a very young age how to separate her mind from her body and became very dissociated and stepped outside of herself. It was the only way she could hide the pain and remain silent about what had happened. She spent years hiding the story of dealing with sibling sexual abuse. And as we dove into this, there are so many different layers that involved grief and learning to forgive and learning to let go and embracing that your story is meant for something more and healing and sobriety and just so many different layers that she shares with us. So I know you're going to love this episode. It's very, very powerful. And I honor Jane so much for sharing her story with us today. Welcome to the show today, Jane. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. So we're going to get started with a few questions so people can get to know you, and then we're going to dive into your story. So tell everyone where you are from. Uh, My name is Jane, and I am currently in San Francisco, California, but I was originally from Colorado and spent 18 years on the East Coast, but there's nothing like the Bay Area. Oh, I can't. I, I was there once, um, I think almost six years ago. And I just went, I have to come back here. Cause we were only there for a day. We like tried to get as much in a day, two days and loved it. Absolutely. I loved it. It was beautiful. Beautiful. It is water, beautiful. Water mountains, palm trees, like water mountains, palm trees. Exactly. Right. <laughs> it's not, I don't have to choose. Cause sometimes you have to choose which one you want, but it's beautiful there. Do you have a book that you've read that has had a big impact on your life? I knew you were going to ask me this question and (laughs) I have a bookshelf of lots of books Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go with the answer of something that I've read three times. And that is Glennon Doyle Melton, the love warrior. Okay. We're best friends now. (laughs) Because what resonated with me is she talks about the representative and it was just such a visceral reaction that I had that I understood it. Now, I'm very different from her, but I, I had a representative and I think that we all do. And I found that very universal. And then when she kind of talked about her body and her husband and the intimacy issues mm-hmm. that really resonated with me. 
So I've listened to her book twice and I've read it once and I've got tabs and stickies on it. So that's probably the one that's really, I love, I love memoirs. I do too, actually. I do too. Um, and I, I have referred to Glennon Doyle's work many times here, but Love Warrior, uh, somebody recommended it to me and I'm going to go with, honestly, like eight years ago, seven, eight years ago. I don't even know. However, it was very early in my journey and I actually even resist it because of the name. I'm like, I am not in the mood. <laughs> like, uh, like it's just like some kind of love book. Cause I'm not in the mood at that point. I started it. I couldn't put it down. And it was one of the first times that I had really seen like vulnerability in action. And I'm like, okay, if you can, like, if she can share her story the way that she did, maybe I can share my story. Like that was just such a, it's such a pivotal book. I've read it twice and I actually just got it on audible because I wanted to listen to it again. I, I just yeah. love her work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've listened so, to an audible one walking the dog and. Oh yeah. yeah it's all right over there. Oh, actually Untamed. it's right here. Untamed. Have you listened to Untamed? On I listened to Untamed. I don't have the same reaction to mm -hmm. that book as I I've got it highlighted. There's some snippets in there but it, it's not the same as Love Wire for me. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I completely agree. Do you have a quote or a mantra or something that describes you to a T? Oh, wow. Okay, I don't have one memorized. Okay, tell me <laughs> any meaning of one or anything that sticks out in your head. Uh, meanings currently, because, because my life has definitely taken several detours. It kind of depends on where I'm at in my life. Mm -hmm. When I was facing grief, the, the grief quotes resonated with me, but currently right now, um, I really wish I'd pull this quote up, but there's a quote about shining the light on the dark subjects and coming forward and sharing your story because someone else in the world is waiting for you to share your story Yep, because courage is contagious. Mm -hmm. It's along those lines. I really wish I would have looked that up. I should have looked that one up. It's all good. It's had, I, I, I actually will look it up too after. But I, I know I've heard many quotes on like sharing your story, the, being the light for someone else, the light isn't for you, all of those things. So I love that. Speaking of light, what lights you up? What drives you? <laughs> I get up at 445 every single morning, even during COVID, even when the kids weren't going to school, because I am driven to bring about awareness to sibling sexual abuse. And I'm writing my memoir mm -hmm. and it literally, it just lights me up. Um, I don't want to call it a passion. Mm -hmm. I think it's more of a calling and the calling found me and it, it, it does, it, it lights me up. It inspires me. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Obviously we're going to get into your story and more of what you do. Um, how long have you been working on your memoir now? <laughs> Four years. Yeah, no, it's no joke. It, like, <laughs> it's work. People don't, it's, it's, I don't know. People say that all the time, you know, like, do you want, what's it like to write a book? I, I know the year that I, 2017, I published mine. I, that was my project for the year. I'm not going to like, that was all editing. It was all, it was a, a whole year project. And I was like, I will never do this again. Did it again in 2020. <laughs> 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 Even then I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to do this again. But that's not true. I'm sure that it'll happen. My goal is by the end of like my kids have been home over like 300 days, three, uh, over almost 400 days now. They have not been back to school since March 17th. So I thought, okay, it's COVID. I'm going to go into lockdown. I'm going to get my 
I think they call it your shitty first draft. I'm going to get that done before August, before they go to school. Mm-hmm. That's my goal to get that first draft down. Nice. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> hey, and I think way. there's probably one more book inside of me. I'm probably going to be like you. I think it yeah. was you. Once you do it and you share that, like sharing that story on that level, it just, I don't know, it opens up something. There's the piece of vulnerability hangover, which we're going to talk about a little bit. And it opens up something that allows you to connect with others. Because when we share stories, people can see us, right? And they can see us. And I think the thing I didn't get in the beginning is... I thought, I don't want to be just talking about my story. Like, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to deal with people who've just had my story. And that's not the case. I didn't understand that in the beginning. We end up seeing ourselves through other stories, through the pain, through the emotion, through the experiences that I've had. And we can all have very different stories. I think that's what the beautiful thing is. Yes. Your story is very different from mine, but I resonate with it because it has to do with loss and grief and surrender. Yeah. Yeah. And we can see ourselves and our stories were all very different and very unique. Mm-hmm. But when I can see myself, I can think, oh, okay, I'm not alone. I'm normal. Normal. I love it. Normal. Absolutely. Normal with an extraordinary story. Can I just say that? Because I've gone through and you do have an extraordinary story. Where would you like to take us back to? Where would you like to start from that feels like we're going to talk about it? We're going to dive into it. But what what feels comfortable for you to dive back into? Would you like me to kind of tell you the story in the short version? Sure. You go wherever you want to go and we will carry the conversation. Okay. I'm actually going to start the story where it, where it really started for me mm-hmm. because my story is out of order. So it goes out of order. Okay. I found myself in, I describe it as a pool of depression. Mm -hmm. I wanted to die. I was not suicidal, but I wanted to die. And I had gone through a lot of counseling and I sat there and I thought, okay, I need to figure out why I'm unhappy. Mm -hmm. And so I started writing my story down from early childhood throughout And it was from there that I was able to take an eagle's eye view. And I thought, oh, I get it. My life happened out of order. And now it makes sense because I can kind of move the pieces around like a puzzle. Mm -hmm. So as I started writing, I started recalling that I had been sexually abused by an older sibling. Mm -hmm. He was six years older than me. I'd been sexually abused by him starting at the age of six until 12 intermittently. And that taught me that I needed a male's attention to feel validated. And it also taught my body the sexual feelings because my body reacted like a normal human being would react and it liked the touch. Mm -hmm. And I started seeking him out. So when I was 12, he went on to college and I kind of describe it as he left me behind like a crack addict. I needed touch. I needed physical touch. I was also very angry and shameful didn't understand why you were a child too, right? Like this I was a child, a child. Yeah. So it's not going to make, there's, I mean, it's not going to make sense to me as an adult. There's no way as a child that's going to make sense to you. Correct. Mm-hmm. And I had a learning experience later in life that taught me that. Mm-hmm. And I will share that with you. Um, so I started becoming very promiscuous. I described me as boy crazy. And I became a stripper, which is, kind of normal for someone of my background. 
And the stripping actually taught me empowerment and I felt pretty and I learned how to talk to people, including my first husband. (laughs) My first husband was in the club and he approached me and he said, what are you doing here? You look like I could take you home to meet my mom. Mm -hmm. And it truly was love at first sight. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say that he rescued me. I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't have any qualms about that. I, he did rescue me. He was my knight in shining armor. Yep. Basically yanked me off the stage and treated me like Cinderella and um, took me, moved me in with him and helped me get through school, helped me study, taught me how to dress like a professional. Mm -hmm. And uh, we ended up getting married. It was not a perfect marriage. No marriage is. I loved him so much that I think I put a lot of pressure on him and he was my world. Mm -hmm. But then he ended up being diagnosed with terminal cancer. Young, right? He he was 45. I was 33. Okay. And at that time, I, he never said, why me? I never said, why me? We just kind of took it like, okay, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And something was just opened up inside of me. Grief just opens you up. It be, you become vulnerable. You become a little more compassionate. You become a little more self-aware and you need help. Mm-hmm. It changed me. Mm-hmm. He did pass away. And I began dating and I, I was a little, I was a little wild. I think I was a little wild. Mm-hmm. But that's how I grieved. Everybody grieves differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I learned so much. I learned everyone grieves differently. And I had solid friendships and they did not judge me. And I needed their support. They didn't question me. They were there for me. And I'm getting on to my story. I ended up meeting my now husband. I call him my current husband. He hates being called the current husband, but it just fits. I'm going to keep him at this point. I don't. So we met and we got married and we had two children a year and a week apart. And that's when something happened in my marriage and something triggered the childhood memories. And I recall something happening and my eyes just opened in the dark. And I said to myself, what the heck was that? Mm -hmm. And I woke up the next morning, very angry with a trigger with a memory that would not go away. And I, that's when I started going into a depression, angry, yelling zero to 60 in, in, in a second. And my poor husband is just like, what the heck is she depressed from having children? What, what is going on now? Can I ask, had you repressed those memories all those years? I believe I had, I, on some level they were there, Yeah. but I told myself he was a child. I was a child. He was curious. It wasn't a big deal. Yep. Turns out it was a big deal. Yes. And so when we, we had moved from Pennsylvania to California and I told my husband, I said, we have to go to counseling. And he's, he's, he's like, whoa, (laughs) what is this about? And he was, he resisted as his normal human reaction, Mm -hmm. but we did go to counseling 
And I went to counseling with my complaints. It was all him, him, him. And we were in counseling for about two years. And the therapist said, Jane, your anger just isn't matching. It doesn't match what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, there is this one thing that happened as a kid. Maybe, you know, maybe that's it. And I told him about the sexual abuse and he was quiet. And he said, you need to tell your husband, Steve. And I said, I'm not telling Steve because then he'll blame all the marital problems on me. Mm-hmm. They said, you need to tell Steve. So I did tell Steve and he has been very, very supportive. He, when he married me, he took on a lot more than he ever thought possible because I was still grieving my late husband. And then the childhood trauma came up. So he has been amazing and helped me share my story. I could, I could write it down, but I couldn't talk to him about it. Mm So that's where the whole writing thing really took me and was able to place it in order. Now, I'd like to go back to that little six-year-old girl who didn't understand what was happening to her body. Please. Yes. This is actually a story that I have not shared with my husband. So if he listens to this, he's going to hear it for the first time. I have it written and he will read it eventually. Mm-hmm. I went to go get a massage with a female, but she was sick. And they said, well, she's sick, but we have a male who can take care of this. And I said, okay, great. No problem. I went in for the massage. This was before me too. So I I can base it on that date is around 2016. Mm -hmm. And I went in for the massage and he pushed that envelope and I was laying on the table and thought, did, did, did he? And then it happened again. And I just laid there frozen. And after the massage, I went out into the hallway and I was embarrassed He hands me a glass of water, like nothing had happened. And I was just embarrassed. And I walked out of there thinking, oh my gosh, do the people at the front desk, do they think I requested him? Is this a thing that he does? Immediately you went into internal, like that was a fault. It was my fault. What did I do? I know I walked in and I said, look, my muscles are really tight. Was that a, a signal? But I drove away and I realized I'm a grown woman. And I froze and I couldn't get off that table. I'm a survivor and I couldn't get off that table. Yeah. How was that six-year-old girl to know what to do? She didn't have a chance. She didn't have a chance. And so it was at that moment that I was able to forgive that little girl because for the longest time, that little girl kept knocking on my window, showing up in pictures, and I did not want anything to do with her. But through that, I thought I can forgive her. And so I started with forgiving her. And then I was able to forgive my brother. And then through that forgiveness, it just overflowed into my marriage mm-hmm. and into my life. Isn't that amazing that one, like one instance becomes the domino that helps you to learn how to forgive and let go. And it impacts so many other areas of your life. It, I mean, I've forgiven people for lying to me, but nothing like this, this you're right. Domino snowball. I, it literally just overflowed everywhere Mm -hmm. to to the driver who cuts me off. Forgive. Well, here's the thing. You and I spoke about forgiveness before we even started. And I think that when, if we could actually weigh the weight of holding onto something like your anger, your resentment, all of those things, shame, if you could weigh the weight of it, we would be blown away by how much it actually weighs. 
And I think the first time we learn how to not carry it is when we go, oh my God, like, why well, don't want to carry that anymore? Like, that's just too heavy. And we learn how to let go of it. But I do think it's like, you have to come to this space of, of being able to forgive. Now, can I ask you to give what your definition of forgiveness is? Because we did, we had a great conversation about this before we started and forgiveness is something that can trigger a lot of people because it's, it, it means that you want me to discount everything that happened to me. And I'm like, no, that's just the definition that we have given to forgiveness. I would love to know what forgiveness means or meant to you. Well, there's a great book called, um, I have it over on my shelf, but it's by Desmond Tutu mm-hmm. about forgiveness. Yes. That really helped me. But forgiveness for me, for, for starters, my mom kept telling me, you have to forgive, you have to forgive, you have to forgive. And I said, I don't have to forgive. I don't. Yeah. I had to come to it on my own terms. So forgiveness for me just started forgiving that little girl for enjoying the touch, for seeking her brother out. Mm-hmm. And then I did write a letter of forgiveness to my brother, but we aren't best friends. I haven't forgotten what he's done. I can't, I wish I could. Um, I think forgiveness for me means trying to help other people and show them that they aren't alone. Maybe I don't have my definition of forgiveness down. It's more of a feeling. I know yeah. that I have forgiven, but there's still anger there. It, it comes up. There's frustration. It comes up. Thank you for saying that because I think there's a misconception that if we forgive, it's like, we've let go that this ever happened. We have, there's no feelings there anymore. And I don't think that anything, I don't think that that's true at all. I think that your definition um, of forgiveness, yours, our definition of forgiveness can change depending on the day, depending on the circumstances. Like for me, I found that holidays would trigger a whole lot of things. I would find myself very resentful that why is everyone else's family seem to be not chaotic, which is not true. We know that, but that's when you're in the space of it, it's easy to be there. So there were a lot of things that would trigger those feelings on a regular basis and learning how to forgive literally myself first is where I had to start. And then it was amazing how many other things I could forgive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So it's a surrender. It is a surrender too. I mean, my marriage was really hard to my current husband (laughs) and surrendering that and just surrendering the forgiveness. And it might be a daily practice of loosening and surrendering. And, and I do think it does kind of come around a little bit. And I don't think it doesn't mean if you get feel these angry feelings, I don't think it doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. Mm -hmm. I think it's a process. And I do believe everybody's different. And I believe you can forgive in different ways. Mm -hmm. I don't say go forgive that person and have them over for Thanksgiving dinner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, can I ask you how, like, so you wrote your letter as a forgiveness to your, your sibling, but you didn't give it to him. This was just for you. I sent it to him. You did send it to him. Wow. Wow. That's just, wow. Good for you. I would like to share something. So when I was 21, he had, his wife had just had a baby. And I went to go see the baby because I wasn't thinking of these memories. Mm-hmm. And he pulled me aside and he said, 
I'm sorry for what I did to you when you were little. I was shocked. And I looked at him and I said, it's okay. I participated. And I put it under the rug. But in my back pocket, I had that apology, knowing he knew that he apologized for something had happened. And he went on with his life and he thought it was done. So when I wrote the letter of forgiveness, I, I went down to the drive. I did it on spontaneous. I went down the driveway in my socks, put it in the mailbox. It was a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I started walking up the driveway and I got really nervous. And I turned around and I thought, I don't have to mail it. And I said, no, I have to mail it. I have to get it out there. Mm-hmm. So then I knew he would call me. Sure enough, he called me. I was nervous. And he was actually shocked. He said, I apologize. And I just assumed everything was okay. And your life was okay. And he seemed very shocked to understand the ramifications. And he still doesn't know the deep ramifications of what his actions. He's not a monster though. He was a 12 year old boy and he's answered all my questions. I can call him and say, I'm having this memory. Is this true? And he's also very mindful not to trigger more memories or give me more information. Mm-hmm. It's a very unique situation. It's a very unique situation. I I mean, ironically, um, I don't know if it's ironically, we just, um, I have on our second podcast, we just interviewed somebody who shared her story of sibling um, sexual assault. And it's, it's literally coming out live this week. And that was the first time we have had that conversation with a guest. And she's completely isolated from her family at this point, but she just, it's not even a case. It's just, she has two kids and it's like, she has to do what she has to do for herself. And, and, and as we all do, like, as we all do, because, you know, you have other aspects of your life. You're a mom, like you're a wife, you have your own things that you're doing. You have to do what's best for you. So it's, and that isn't always going to be what everyone else thinks is best. So it's, it's tricky because no one can, no one can understand your shoes. No one can understand what you have lived through and come through. I mean, I can hear it, but I haven't lived through it. So I, I, I can't imagine. And you doing what is best for you is exactly what you have to do. So honoring that, honoring that is, is, is a powerful thing. And I think that's where we spoke even earlier about the fact that there's not a one size fits all. There's not a one way to forgive. There's not a one way to do, to do this or to do that. You have to do with what's best for you. Yes, I agree. And even, you know, the woman that you're speaking about, we've come through something similar, but I am not going to look at her and say, I I know exactly how you feel. It's a very different perspective. It's a different walk. Yes. And I think my grief process, losing my first husband taught me that Mm -hmm. it it taught me so much. I feel so fortunate that I learned that at at 33, Mm -hmm. that everyone is different. Everyone's process in, in every aspect is very different. Yeah. I still judge. I'm guilty of it. I try not to. Human. Let's just <laughs> I'm human, but I try like not to. I'm better about not voicing it, but I do think it sometimes. Yep. I I do. It happens. Of course, I'm human. It'll happen then I'm like, nope, that's not mine. Nope, that's not mine. Because I think that when you're on the receiving end of judgment for so long, that it, it gets easier to not judge others because you know what it feels like. And I always say with judgment, the one thing is, is that no one will ever judge us as harshly as we judge ourselves. So when I would hear people say things, it finally clued into me that I'm like, I've said that to myself. Like I've said those words to myself. So why am I getting so upset by what everyone else is telling me or saying to me when I've already said all those things? 
And that was the, that was the mindset shift I needed to not stress about what everyone was thinking or saying, because I already done it. I'd already said all of it. Wow. Yeah. Cause your situation's very different. I think it, your situation is, was probably more, more judged. I mean, here I was a widow mm-hmm. as a stripper, I was judged, but I was so rebellious. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. It's interesting though. People do judge um, because sometimes so here's, uh, this is off tangent, but I think it relates yes. still too, is the fact that people would judge and say things. And finally, I got to come to a space of recognizing that my story scared them. It scared them because they're like, if this can happen to them, like, what, what are we going to do if that happens to us? Like, how is that? There had to be a reason. So many people would say, what's the number one reason why this happened? And I'm like, I don't know, because I literally did everything that I could. But that was a question I was asked probably more than anything else is what's the way that you could have fixed this or you could have stopped this. And that is easier for other people to live in that space because that means that I caused this and therefore they will not do what I did. So they won't have that problem. Like it's just, that makes It's a psychology thing. It's just a psychology shift. We all do that. But once I could see it from that point, I'm like, okay, I don't need to be angry about that because they're just behaving out of fear. That's okay. Like it's, it's okay. It's, I know that sounds very heavy, but I just, it was a mindset shift I needed to not let the judgment of others to stop me from living my life. Cause at that point I wasn't even like, I wouldn't go out in the daytime to get groceries. I was, because it was just, oh, wow. so yeah, my world became very small. So, but judgment and, and you have, you I mean, you've got loss, you have widowed, you have sexual assault, you have like, you have, you have very heavy topics in your life and in your story. So judgment is something that you could be exposed to in a number of different ways. Yes. Especially as I get my story out there more. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was very promiscuous. Um, I did go to counseling for a while and I started writing my story and writing a blog and I was in counseling and my counselor actually said to me, I'm very concerned that you're going public with your story because if one of your children's friends, moms, comes across your story and then your kids get teased. I never went back to her. Thank God. They- <laughs> wow. I'm so sorry for that because here's the thing. When you get, if you go to counseling for support for something and then that is the response you're met with, if you're not in a space of being confident about your choices and what you are doing, you're so impressionable. And that's a, that's a horrible thing to be, to, to hear. Well, by that time I was sober. Sobriety is a beautiful thing for me as well. It gives me clarity. It gives me joy Mm -hmm. and I know what I'm supposed to do. And I am supposed to come forward about sibling sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. I know that it's not what I chose. I know when I started talking about my story, I thought it was going to be grief. And then God said, Nope, it's not grief. I said, okay, fine. Sexual abuse. Nope. Sibling sexual abuse. I I don't want this, but it seems to be my thing, my calling right now. So, you know, it's your calling, you know, this is what you're going to write and talk about. And I know you have a lot of faith, which is, is wonderful. Where was the point that you went I know it has to be about this. How did you come to such a decisive place that you knew that was what your story had to be about or that you had to share? I started writing mm-hmm. and I was searching for something inside of me. Just it, 
something inside of me needed to get out. And so the writing was helpful. And so I started a Facebook page, a personal Facebook page, and it started out as grief and sexual abuse. And I kept getting this nagging feeling, no, that's not it. That's not it. And so I started Googling sibling sexual abuse and I couldn't find much on it. And I thought, wait a second, I know I'm not the only one. And I know my brother's not the only one. And I just felt God was calling me to do that. So I kind of put my feet in the water and started putting a little bit out there on the page because it wasn't, it didn't cost me much because there may be five people on the page. Yeah. But I started getting daily messages or phone calls or texts Mm -hmm. from friends who said it happened to me or other people would email me or message and say, I appreciate what you're doing. I'm not there yet. I kept getting, I would call them little breadcrumbs, Mm -hmm. little signs that said, this is what you're supposed to do. And, you and follow- now I'm comfortable with it. Yeah. You follow them. Good for you. Good for you. I just want to ask that you obviously have built, um, a good sense of intuition over the years. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's great. And I, I will say don't. sobriety has definitely helped with that. I feel like it's my superpower. Oh, I love that. I love that. Can I ask you how long you have been sober for? three and a half years, almost I'm approaching three and a half years. Mm-hmm. I just, it started, I, it started out just honestly, I'll be honest how it started. I started drinking more and more mm-hmm. and, you know, it started getting to half a bottle, a bottle of wine. And my husband started teasing me because he only drinks a tiny, tiny bit of wine. And he's like, I have to go pour more wine. And I was in counseling and I was on antidepressants. And my therapist said, can you stop for two weeks? And I said, don't I need to support the California economy? I oh. funny. <laughs> uh, he didn't laugh. No. He said, just give it a try. I said, I'll try. I made it nine days and I went back to it. He didn't give me a hard time, my therapist. But then I thought, let me try again. Let me just see. Cause this challenge came up called the naked mind. And they tell you to see if you can give up alcohol for 30 days. That's come up thought, on this podcast many times. I've heard this story. Yes. Yeah. I thought I can do it for 30 days. Let me try. Mm-hmm. It was hard. The first seven days were hard. I wanted it. I was craving it. I was thinking about it. But day 25, I was walking the dog and I was struck by this sense of calm and peace and joy. And I can only describe it that I could see, I could see the leaves on the trees. I could see the grass Mm. and I thought, huh, maybe there's something to this. Wow. Okay. I'll make it 30 days. Then I made it 60. I'm like, like, I make it 90 after 90. And it just kept going. Mm. And I will say once I hit the year mark, I thought, well, this is a little anticlimactic. Maybe I should just have something to celebrate. But by that time I'd started writing and I could see the creativity starting to kick in and every day and every year just gets better and better and better. So I guess I'm sticking with it. And my poor husband, he's still going through the wine that he'd stocked up on three and a half years ago. (laughs) Aw, well, good for you for following through on something like, I mean, so adding that to everything else that you have come through, it's, um, it's, wow. It's thank you for sharing that with us. It's a superpower. Give it a shot. Mm-hmm. A shot. That's probably not the right word. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. We're not laughing. Anybody who's listening to this, don't be offended. It wasn't. Um, it's, it is, it's, it's interesting. So as I, I mean, I grew up with 
many forms of addiction in throughout um, family, extended family. And for me, I always had this thing that if I said I needed to have a drink, I would never have one. It's just that I'm a little bit like stubborn minded, but it was like, I will not have it. I refuse to have it because I feel like I need it. It's not going to happen. And so the odd time I might have a couple of drinks a month, but then I might go a couple months without anything. It doesn't even, it's just not, I won't, it doesn't have an attachment for me, but that's because I think that's from my past experience and right. 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 I will say, you know, I stay home more. Um, Some people say, what do you do for fun? But I have clarity and it did make me more of a homebody for sure. And mm-hmm. I think that's certain. That's not a draw. That doesn't make somebody want to quit drinking. Right. But your circles change though. When they, when you change um, habits like that, that, I mean, a big part of our circles changed in the beginning because I was like, I was just really, really broken. And I know a lot of people who supported me at that time, the solution was to sit down and have a whole bottle of wine and listen to my story. And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, wait, how can I be frustrated with my kids? Like, this is what I'm doing to like, this is not the right solution. And it's not, I, I wasn't clear headed. It just added to the fog constantly. So I, yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing yeah. that part of the story. For me, that's mm-hmm. how it worked for me because I was numbing the childhood pain. I was numbing the grief. Mm-hmm. So there, when I gave that up, when I gave up that numbing effect, there was a black and white difference for me. Yeah. Others may not experience that aha moment because maybe they're not numbing something so deep. Mm-hmm. And I, I have girlfriends that they drink and I go out with them and I don't want this to come from a place of judgment at all. I just know for me, until I get my memoir done, until I get my children's book done, mm-hmm. I need to stay clear, clear headed. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a place of judgment. That's a place of, you know, what works best for you. Like that's, that's, you knowing what what works best for you and honoring it. Like that's part of our, I would say our intuition and, and, and listening to our gut feeling is actually honoring what works for us, you know, and not, not judging ourselves and following through on that. And my, like people make fun of me all the time because of how I eat and what I do. Um, my kids, they will joke relentlessly about it because they're like, Oh, mom's the only one who puts spinach and everything. Like it's going to happen. But I know how I feel and that's, what's important to me. So I don't judge what other people do. I just know that that's what I need to be my best me. Yeah. I think if, if anybody takes anything away from this particular interview, there is a small voice inside of you mm-hmm. and it will guide you and you are individual. And if you can listen to that small voice and follow that small voice, whether it's, you need spinach or you need a glass of wine or you don't, we are all on our own path. Yes. And we all have to take what works for us and leave what does not work. Mm -hmm. 100%. 100%. I love that you call that your website is Complicated Courage. Like, I love that. Absolutely love that name. Where did you come up with that? And and what does it mean to you? I have my own ideas of what it means, but I want to hear from you what it means. I racked my brain because I was going to start a Facebook page Mm -hmm. and it needed a name. And it's beautifully broken, a lot of broken and beautiful, and it just wasn't fitting. And I, my life, my life, my story is very complicated Mm -hmm. and I'm coming forward with courage and so complicated courage. It was, and it stuck. And then I do get compliments on the complicated courage. I, I love it because a lot of people assume that you have it or you don't. 
You're strong or you're not. You have courage or you don't. And I don't, well, I know that's not how it works. Like it's, I think you can <laughs> grow it, right? You can, I say it's a verb. You can grow it. You, by action steps you take, you will build your courage. And, but it's complicated. It's not easy. Um, it gets easier because you don't want to live the way that you were. But I love, I think there's a big message behind complicated courage. So I just wanted to to ask you about that. I love it. Thank you. And I think that I also went through a complicated grief process in that when I met my late husband, he filled all the gaps that my father left behind and that my abuser left behind. And so we had a unique relationship and I loved him with every bone of my body. And so when he died, I lost so many things, but then I was also grieving my childhood, but I did not know it. And that grief on top, that kind of grief on top of grief, complicated grief is a real thing. And I didn't realize I had it, but I I grieved for a very long time because I think it was a complicated grief process. Mm -hmm. So complicated kind of plays in there as well. Yeah, it takes, it takes a lot of time and work. I mean, you have so many different facets of your story. So I just want to honor the fact that it, it would take a lot of personal work in order to, you know, figure out how am I going to do this or what can people say to me all the time? Well, I've got like all these aspects of my story and I'm like, you do. But the interesting thing is, is they do overlap. Like they overlap in that we keep living the same story until we address what is really at the root of it. Right. And I think that's a great example of what you had to do. Yes. You had to deal with grief from losing your first husband and then this compounds and then this compounds, but at the root of it was still this little girl that needed to be healed and needed to be forgiven for what you were holding her responsible for. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. And she's still healing. Of course she's healing. Honestly, I don't I'm, Have you ever done any of the inner child work or any of the, it, it's, it's, I just did it recently in a course and I, I did not expect it to stir up what it did for me. To be honest, I didn't. I've always been a very strong, tough person. Not that I'm not loving, I'm just saying I'm just strong and tough. But that's just, that's how I had to survive. That's how I, that's what I had to become to survive. Yeah. And when we did this inner child work, it was like, okay, you know what? She doesn't have to be the warrior. Like she doesn't have to be the, she can, I can let her go. She did the best that she could and just see her as a child and see her, literally see her as a child, which it sounds like you did with yourself. Right. I have not gone to any, I have not gone to any classes for that. I, I have done a lot of therapy and a lot of prayer and a lot of writing. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I've gotten my healing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that little girl probably needs a little more attention. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of our little girls do, honestly, I think they really do. So as you work on this book, where do you see this going or what would you love to come from this? What I would love to come from this. I am in search of my people. Yeah. I'm in search of the other sibling sexual abuse survivors because 40% of sexual abuse is adolescent cousin, step sibling, older sibling, 40%. There's a lot of it. And that's what we know about. And no one's talking about it. And I'm a moderator of a Facebook group and people come into that group as sibling sexual abuse survivors. And it's confusing because you love your sibling and you live with them. 
and no one's talking about it. And you think you're alone. You think you're, you're crazy, mm-hmm. but there's a new book out called sibling sexual abuse by Brad Watts. It's actually on my website and he describes it as a silent epidemic. And we need to be talking about this. So I'm looking for my people. I'm willing to be a voice because I have my family behind me. I have my sibling kind of behind me. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to be a voice to find those people. I would like a movement for sibling sexual abuse survivors and incest survivors. I'm part of a group called Incest Aware and, and we want to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, we are kind of left out of the Me Too movement. We were hopeful, but we're still kind of left out. So we're, we're behind the scenes. We're trying to grow numbers and we're trying to find our way in. We would like to be heard. Uh, the news media, they don't want to hear from us because it's sad stories, it's dark stories, but we need yeah, to be heard. I know it's sad and they don't want to hear about that. They, even though they do love to promote all of the terrible stories, but that is not something that it's almost like, it's just, that's too much. We don't want to touch that one. And I know when the me too movement was coming up, um, it's really, you don't have to go far to find women who have been assaulted at some point in their life. <laughs> right. You don't have to go very far really don't. No, you don't. And I, um, I openly shared my story in my book and I had a client say, I just don't understand. Why would these women just not speak up? Like, what is the problem? You seriously want to dredge up something from 25 years later. And now you're going to do this. And I remember looking at him going, and that's why we have a problem. This is exactly why we have a problem because you're not even open to it now. Now picture some of us, you know, 25, 30, 40 years ago, no one was listening then. Like we're barely right. listening now. So it's right. It was right. So you just think of how, how hard that movement was. And then what you're doing on top of that is just another level. So it's, it's definitely not easy work. You didn't sign up for an easy path. Some of us don't. Um, I honor what you're doing with it because I believe that it will make a difference for a lot of people. And I'm just very grateful that you're sharing this with us today. Well, I'm very grateful to be here. And thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. I really do. I, you're more than welcome. Can I ask you what would be a, you have somebody listening right now and they are part of this 40% and they have not shared their story. Do you have a tip or two that you could share with them that they could maybe receive? I do. I believe, and I'm trying to find more research on this. I believe that when you are sexually abused as a child, it's a loss and it's a grief process and you are grieving alone. When I lost my late husband, I had people bringing me meals. I had people reaching out to me, but when you're six years old, five years old, two years old, and you lose your innocence, and you, you lose your life, you lose trust. I believe that's a grief process and you are on your own. And if you can look at it as that way, and then I strongly believe, and the science says, start writing, start writing painful moments down, set a timer for three minutes. And if you can go to five minutes and then grow up to 10, because it will be hard and triggering, Mm -hmm. write it down. And you will be able to turn over some of that hurt into those pages. I firmly believe in that Mm -hmm. and find your people, find me, uh, find a group. We're out there. You're not alone. You are not alone. 
Thank you. Um, I know that somebody will receive that. We have people listening from all over and this is one of those difficult topics that I'm sure somebody will resonate with and be able to see themselves in your story. So I appreciate you, you sharing that. We cannot find our people until we learn to show up and be vulnerable and somebody shares their story, right? Somebody has, Agreed. somebody, has somebody to. needs to hear your story. Yes. It's like the whole premise of everything I believe and do is that our stories can have so much purpose and impact for other people when we learn how to share them. And even the way you're doing it now, I just like, I just absolutely honor you for doing this. Um, but it's the thing is, is people think it means like giving all the nitty gritty guts of the story. It's not, it's not. But if you can find a way to tap into those emotions and what you experienced and how it played out in your life, you can relate to someone else. You don't have to give all the parts of the story. I don't, yeah, people don't want the story. Even other survivors. No. We just know. We're like, okay, we, we understand. Right. Yeah. They, they see themselves in you and they're like, yeah, I got it. I get it. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, right? I don't want to. I absolutely agree. I right. absolutely agree. Um, as you continue to do this, you're hoping that the book will go in August is the first plan, right? I'm hoping the first draft first will draft. be done yep. by yep. August. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And then from there, we'll see how long. Rewrite and rewrite and re, re another version. I mean, obviously I want to get it done, mm-hmm. but it it's, it's, it's a project. It's an art form, as you know. Mm-hmm. I do. It's so with the kids a, out of school right now. It's it's kind of convenient. I'm not running back and forth with them. <laughs> well, and that's an interesting way. That, I mean, good for you for being able to say that because I've had, like you just said before, that it's been, um, did you say 400 days? Almost 400 days. Actually, I have it on my phone. I have it. I have the day counter because um, <laughs> they haven't been in school. Okay. They have been home for 407 days. Wow. But we've loved having them home. They're awesome. homebodies, they're seventh graders, and two they come to, boy two girls, boys, two boys, two boys. They come down and they grunt at us when they want food, and we have family time. That husband's home, I'm home. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, and this is the thing, right? Is that you're making the most of the time that you have now, and that's that's the best that we can do with the situation that we're in. Yes. Yeah. Because we go a little stir crazy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That's okay. <laughs> I completely understand. I completely understand. Um, as we start to wrap this up, I want to know where the best place that people can connect and follow you and learn more about you and the movement that you're doing. I'll make sure it's all included in the show notes. Great. I, I think my website there, you can at least contact me. I'm not, I'm so busy writing. I'm not going to spam anybody. So my website is www.complicatedcourage.com. Mm-hmm. Or my Instagram, which I'm in the process of changing it to an Instagram. So you can find me at Jane Epstein underscore complicated courage. And there, that's where you're going to see the real me. You're going to see that I love to eat. You're going to see that I love my dog. You're going to see that I like to exercise and I'm an advocate. That's where you'll see all of me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of active on Facebook, but not so much. Okay. I love it. I love it. We will definitely connect and make sure it's on the show notes. Um, two questions for you. What impact do you want to make in this world? I believe you've said a lot of the things. I just want to tie a bow around it and really make it clear for people. The impact that I want to make for the world and not me solely. I am, I, I believe my story is just a part of it. I'm willing to be a vessel. 
I'm willing to be a part of a bigger movement. I don't need to save the world alone. So that's why I am working with other advocates. My goal is that body safety discussions, even including siblings and cousins, becomes an everyday conversation. Mm-hmm. And I pray that society understands the impacts mm-hmm. of not talking about mm-hmm. body safety and how it is it is incredibly damaging. Children don't forget it comes back. I want it to be an everyday conversation, just like we tell our kids to wear our seatbelts and say, please and thank you. Mm-hmm. I want conversations. Thank you for saying that. Um, I don't have any stats on this question. And I just want to ask is the one thing um, is during this time of pandemic, there are kids that are in situations that are not ideal. Like I know it's not okay. It's not convenient. Mm. The health part is very scary as far as how many people are affected, but there's also the other component of mental health and of, um, kids, domestic abuse, people being stuck in situations that otherwise they would get a break from when they went to school. Right. Yeah. So I think this conversation is even more important now. Agreed. And I think that pornography, which I don't, I don't rattle pornography's cage. It's way too big for me, but the access to pornography, children who are 10 and 12 years old and their bodies are changing and they're curious and they need answers. And I'll go to a younger sibling because the younger sibling is safe Mm -hmm. and seeking answers. They aren't, they aren't behaving as an 18 year old male. They're behaving as a 10 or 12 year old male. Right. They aren't, and they're curious and it, and it can begin. And we're all home. Parents are on zoom. Kids are in the basement, um, access to pornography. It's, it's very concerning. It's not hard. Like it's not hard for them to have access to it at all. Like it's just not, it's not, (laughs) no, I would love that. I mean, we all like to believe that it is hard, but it's not, it is not. There's actually a great book called good pictures, bad pictures, because it's not, if your children will come across pornography, it's when, and I think it's great. It talks about how, when you come across pornography, your body will feel good, but you you need to tell your brain to walk away. Okay. So it addresses it directly. I love that. Yes. It's a, you can on, go on protect young minds mm-hmm. website, or I do have the book on my website as well. And I'm not selling anything. I just have links to the books. Yeah. No, I, I, again, you're just opening up conversation that needs to be had. It's conversation that we need to talk about. Thank you for that. Last question for you. What lesson in life are you most grateful for? All of them. (laughs) Honestly, I can look back at my life now and I am so incredibly grateful for the story that I have and the empathy and the compassion and the wisdom that I have. Now, when my first husband died, I was instantly transformed and I was, I was grateful for that. And I would not change that experience for the world. I was with him when he passed. I would not change it. I got to take care of him for a long time. I could not wrap my mind around the sexual abuse. I thought I can't be thankful for that. Mm -hmm. I can finally be grateful that I can be an advocate Mm -hmm. that I'm grateful for my life of my basket of goodies. (laughs) Basket of goodies. That's all. I (laughs) I wouldn't pick up anyone else's baskets. (laughs) No, you've got your basket. Um, It's interesting because thank you for saying that. It's so interesting because I will go ahead and say, boy, I'm going to say almost close to hundred percent of the people that I interview on the show, by the time they come to this space where we're having this conversation and I ask them what lesson they are most grateful for, almost every single one of them says that the lessons I learned from my story, from what I experienced in my life, for who it's made me to be. And they have found their own, taking it back to the beginning, they have found their own definition of forgiveness and understanding that their story made them who they are. 
And it's just interesting. I just find that by the time people come to that space and there is no timeline of how long that can take, none that they, they are then in a space of saying, okay, I think I'm supposed to do something with this. That's the, almost the, that progression that happens. So I, I'm not surprised at your answer, (laughs) but I just wanted to say that I can so understand and relate and I thank you for everything that you have shared with us today and for the awareness that you have brought to a topic that is not talked about enough. And I look forward to being able to shout out your book when it comes available and cheer you on in the process of writing, because we all know that is not an easy process. Oh, before I wrap up, can I ask you, what does vulnerability hangover mean to you and how have you worked through this? Because I think when you get to a space of sharing your story in a book, it's real. Like vulnerability. It's real. Very real. I hid for, honestly, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I actually hid for a long time after I wrote my book because I didn't know how to receive what people were saying. And I felt like I'd shown the entire world my whole life and I didn't know how to handle that. So I just want your thoughts on that for anybody who's listening. Vulnerability hangover. Generally after sharing my story, you feel exposed. And I think, did I say the wrong thing? Did I, did I offend someone? And then I have to go back and know that I did the best I could. Mm -hmm. And I think the more that I write my first draft, I do have a first draft and I vomited everything out on the, on the page and I put it all out there. And a friend of mine offered to edit it for me. I sent it to them and then they came back with some edits and said that they were blushing. And I thought, oh, wow, I guess I really put it all out there. But I think the more that I write and the more I get more comfortable, it just gets easier with time, mm-hmm. I guess. Now I have not published my book. That's going to be very different. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty wide open. I'm, I'm, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it gets me in trouble, but um, yeah, I just have to give, give myself a little self-care after and just know that I did what I was supposed to do, that I was called to do this. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's the whole thing is, is that your self-care game, the more you're in that space of vulnerability and letting that part of you be seen, the more the self-care is important. Like you just have to give, you have to give to you first over anyone else. And that's what you focus on. Yeah. I'm very good at going for walks with the dog and exercising. That's kind of how I process a lot of things. I relate and understand. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing everything with us today, Jane. I'll make sure everything is in the show notes and I cannot wait to share this episode with the world. And I thank you so much for your courage that you share with us today. And I thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.